all you have. You're now tuned in to the caucus race. So just sit back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Hey there, my fellow cosmic adventurers. It's your hype field host, Kyle, and welcome to Star Wars Audio Archives, the ultimate destination for all you incredible Star Wars fans out there. Get ready to have your minds blown, because today's episode is going to take you into a galaxy far, far away. I'm talking lightsaber flashing, starship soaring, and heroes rising up against the forces of darkness. Are you ready to jump in and immerse yourself into this unforgettable journey? I know I am, so let's get started. Nictor awoke in the cage. He had no memory of how he'd gotten here or how long he'd been inside. The last thing he remembered was sitting in the infirmary, waiting for Oral Jack to come back and check the wound on the back of his neck. And in fact, for one disoriented moment, he thought he was still there. It's cold in here, he started to say. Hey, Oral, you mind turning up the heat a little bit? But this was not the infirmary. He tried to sit up and slammed his head against the metal bars above him hard enough to make him let out an angry moan of pain. Just exactly what was going on here? The cage was small, forcing him to remain hunched forward, either on his hands and knees or in a slouched, shouldered sitting position. The top part of his tunic had been ripped away, leaving him naked from the waist up. His back hurt, really hurt, from the base of his skull all the way down to the bottom of his spine, a low, steady throb that made his molars ache. As if to mock his immediate claustrophobic situation, the room outside the cage was very large and very dark. From inside, Nictor could see almost all of it. It was a circular space, perhaps 50 meters across, illuminated by an irregular assemblage of flashing monitor equipment, candles, and torchlight. Laboratory equipment crowded every available surface and corner. Pipes and wires were draped from tables and desks, connecting odd piles of disjointed equipment, condensers, flasks, beakers, and burners. The walls were glass. And although he couldn't see anything out there but darkness, Nictor had the vague feeling that he was very high up. Sudden realization blindsided him. He was at the top of the tower. You're awake, a voice said. Nictor jerked upright at the sound of the voice and very nearly screamed. Standing outside the cage, staring down at him, was a tall, broad-shouldered, black-robed figure that blended almost imperceptibly into the shadows. Nictor already knew exactly who it was, even before the flickering torchlight of the room revealed the man's face, a long, bony sculpture of bone and half-lidded eyes, the famous curvature of the peaked upper lip, how it always seemed to be smiling slightly at some secret thought. A fresh spasm of apprehension leapt through him, raising hackles across his back. The eyes were the worst part, he thought. How almost silver they were, how they seemed to glitter with a feverish accumulation of ambition and indifference. Lord Scabrus, he said, or tried to say, 
His mouth felt parched and his lungs couldn't seem to get enough air. What am I doing here? The Sith Lord didn't answer, but the eyes kept staring down at him, past him somehow, as if there was something else inside the cage with him. He could smell himself. The stale, cheap grease of panic and perspiration seeping through his skin. The pain in his back had intensified from a throb to a sharp, stabbing agony that shot down his ribs and up into his neck. It was getting worse by the second, like the sting of sweat in an open wound. Whatever injury had been inflicted upon him, it was deep and whole packs of nerve receptors. Those obedient trauma hounds were circling back and forth, busily delivering the bad news. Groping around behind him, Nictor felt something cold and smooth and hard sticking out of his skin just above the base of his spine. He looked around and saw what Scabrus had been looking at. It was some kind of tube implanted directly into a vertebra. The sticky ring of exposed flesh around the wound site felt raw and hot, swollen, and it burned when he touched it. Sliding his hand upward, he felt another tube above it and another coming out of his back all the way up to his neck. There were at least six of them protruding out of him, as big around as his finger. He realized that he could feel them pulsating inside his spinal canal. That was the source of the gnawing pain. What? What is this? He asked, aware of how different his voice sounded already, high-pitched and wobbly. What did you do to me? Scabrus still didn't answer. He wasn't even looking at Nictor anymore. He had walked around behind the cage now where the tubes ran between the wire bars into what looked like some kind of mechanized pump with a wide flask mounted on top. Rattling around inside the cage, Nictor stared at it. The flask was full of murky reddish-yellow liquid. Next to the pump sat a small black pyramid covered in lines of engraved text. What he realized through his pain and fear had to be a Sith holocron. They'd learned about it at the academy, but he'd never actually seen one before. And then he saw other things, dozens of them in glass bottles lined up across the wide platform next to the pump. Flowers. All black. All different. All dead. Nectar squirmed in the cage. None of this made any sense, and the irrationality only intensified his mounting terror. He was sweating. Profusely now, it was dripping off him in big, oozing droplets. The urge to beg, to grovel, to bargain for his life, or at least for an end to the pain, was almost irresistible. The only thing that stopped him was the suspicion, based on everything he'd heard about Scabrus, that the Sith Lord wouldn't even listen. Scabrus stood behind the cage, alternating his attention between the flowers and the holocron. Finally, he selected a flower, opened the glass chamber on top of the pump, and dropped it inside. What is that? Nictor asked. What are you doing? Scabrus glanced at him, as if hearing him for the first time. 
when he finally spoke, his voice was low and resonant, deeper than Nictor remembered. There was an awful intimacy to it, as though the Sith Lord were whispering directly in his ear. You were humiliated today at the temple, Wim Nictor. Humiliated badly. You have shown yourself to be weak and easily defeated. It was Lusk, Nictor burst out. He used the force on me. He... Scabrus lifted his hand. There is still one way in which you may yet prove useful. That is the offer I make to you. One of redemption. Then he pressed a button on the pump. Staring at it, Nictor saw the black flower swirling in the reddish-yellow fluid, its petals shredding as it dissolved. The pump let out a faint whining noise, like half a dozen odd vacuum parts called into dubious service. At first he felt nothing except for the odd vibration of the tubes in his back. Then the pain he'd been enduring up till now became abruptly, horribly worse. It slammed through his body, gouging through every millimeter of his nerve endings, turning them white hot. Nictor arched forward and screamed. The pain owned him. He surrendered to it utterly. It became a vast, all-encompassing neutron star, and as it sucked him forward, he saw Scabrus watching him through the cage. The last thing Nictor saw before he blacked out was Scabrus turning away from him, swinging his arm across the long counter above the pump, sending the flowers and their vessels crashing to the floor. Fergus Frode didn't mind his maintenance duties at the Academy's landing pad. It meant he got the first look at the new arrivals, often a pretty sorry lot. And he was privy to some sensitive information even before some of the Sith Masters found out about it. Not a bad gig for a pilot-turned-grease monkey whose last job had been wiping down engines at the Kuat drive yards. Tonight, for instance, when the Corellian cruiser banked and began descending into the snow-strewn landing lights, Frode knew exactly who it was. He would have known even if Darth Scabrous' HK droid hadn't been standing right next to him, whirring softly to itself in anticipation. Frode didn't mind droids. Most of the time, he actually preferred them to organic life forms, especially on Odacer Faustin. Statement. I shall alert Lord Scabros, sir, that his guests have arrived. Sure, good, Frode said, watching as the cruiser extended its landing gear, feeling the decks absorb its settling tonnage. A moment later, the main hatchway whooshed open, and the landing ramp dropped down with an unceremonious clank. Coming forward to meet it, Frode watched as two bounty hunters stepped down. Swaggered down was more like it. The first, a tall, stocky, bald man with a permanent sneer and green-tinted goggles, stopped at the bottom of the ramp and looked around disdainfully, as if he wasn't at all sure he even wanted to stay. He was carrying a metal case under one arm, linked to his wrist with a thin chain. What do you think, Scarl? the bald man asked. Cold enough for you? The flight-suited Nelvanian standing next to him wrinkled his snout and gave a brief snarl revealing a row of sharp, inward-pointing upper teeth. Then he and the man both turned and glared at Frode. 
who had already taken a step back. Where's Scabras? the man demanded, lifting the metal case. We brought his package. He's supposed to meet us here. Statement. I will take you to Lord Scabras, sir, the HK said, gesturing back in the direction of the Academy's main grounds. He is my master, and I have been dispatched to escort you to the tower. You and your... The droid glanced uncertainly at the Nelvanian. Co-pilot? Scarl's my partner, the man said. My name's Dranok. Anything that's worth having in this galaxy, you can get through us. He made no move to follow the HK. Speaking of which, your boss better have the rest of the credits he owes me for this little beauty. It wasn't exactly easy to procure. The HK responded promptly. Answer. Payment has been arranged in full, sir. Rest assured that you will receive it shortly. Dranok nodded, the surly expression never quite leaving his lips as he glanced around the snowy terrain surrounding the landing pad. What a pit. Glancing at Frode, he jerked one thumb back in the direction of the ship. Keep her hot, Ace. We're not staying on this rock one second longer than we have to. And refuel her while you're at it. Think you can handle that? Sure, Frode said. No problem. He'd already decided he didn't care for the man or his partner, but he was careful not to let it show in his voice. It'll be ready when you get back. Ignoring him, the bounty hunter turned and followed the droid with the Nelvanian easily keeping pace to his right, paws crunching in the snow. By the time they'd reached the tower, Dranok had already decided how he was going to handle this. Right up to the moment they'd landed, he hadn't been entirely sure about his course of action. It was nothing personal. He and Skarl had always worked together well enough. The Nelvanian was a superior tracker and always good in a fight. Plus, he was loyal, a trait that Dranonk obviously didn't share. But money-wise, things hadn't been going so well lately. Their last few jobs weren't paying as much as he'd hoped. And Dranok was tired of splitting everything down the middle. So, it was settled then. Once Scabras paid the balance of what he owed them. Statement. It's through here, sir, the HK said, gesturing up at the tower. Right this way. Dranok paused in his tracks and looked up. He'd seen some weird architecture in his time, but the Sith Lord's tower was unsettling in a different way. It was imposing, yes, and much taller than it had looked from the air, but there was another quality to it. An indefinable sense of wrongness. As if it had been built at some unnatural angle so that it seemed to curl down on top of him like an immense black claw. He'd once overheard talk in some spaceport about the Sith, how they'd learned to manipulate spatial geometry itself, creating buildings that were in themselves detached from physical reality. The guy telling the story had claimed you could get lost inside a Sith labyrinth and never escape. Dranok had dismissed it as a lot of drunken superstition, but looking at the tower now, he wasn't sure. He didn't like standing in front of it, and liked even less the idea of going inside. But that was where the payment was. And that settled it. All right, he turned to Skarl. You better wait out here just in case something goes wrong. The Nelvanian looked at him and gave an uneasy growl. This isn't how we normally do things, that growl said. This isn't standard operating procedure. 
Hey, Dranok said, with all the brusque, hail-fellow-well-met heartiness that he could muster. Trust me, will ya? We're both safer if you're out here watching the door. I'll settle up with Scabrus and bring the money out. And before Scarl had a chance to argue, he followed the droid inside. Even though they were out of the wind, Dranok felt the temperature drop sharply. It was dark enough that his first few steps were guided mainly by the pale blue light spill from the HK's dorsal processor array. A second or two later, his eyes began to adjust, and he could make out the wide, circular space around them, supported by pillars and massive stone arches that made up the tower's lowest level. The air smelled wet and dirty, and there was an unpleasantly musty human component to it that reminded him of the bathhouses on some of the inner rim planets he'd visited. Statement. Follow me. The HK's voice said from up ahead, gesturing to a waiting turbolift. Dranok ducked inside, and as the door sealed shut behind him, he realized that the droid had not followed. He was alone. The turbolift shot upward fast enough to leave his stomach behind. Dranok felt the first prickle of unease down the small of his back. The lift was still rising. Was it taking him all the way to the top? Finally, it halted, and the doors opened. Lord Scabrus, Dranok called out loud enough to make himself heard. Your droid sent me up. He realized that he was holding the metal case in front of him like a shield. I brought your package. Silence. It was a big, circular room. To his eyes, it looked like a laboratory furnished by somebody with a serious fetish for the arcane. Dranok had heard that some of these Sith Lords could be decidedly peculiar, mixing technology with the ancient ways of their people, preserving the old ways whenever possible. This proved it. Tall, arching windows made up the surrounding walls with sconces, candles, and torches protruding above them, along with pulsing panels and banks of lights. Machinery hummed with a low, irregular drone that made the air itself seem to vibrate in Dranok's nostrils and the pit of his throat. He made his way past the piles and tables of scientific equipment, not particularly liking the way the torches made his shadow leap and twitch across the bare stone floor behind him, as if there was someone following on his heels. A smell hung in the air, thick and familiar, but as yet indefinable. Chemicals? No. It was sweeter than that, almost cloying like a cooking smell. He walked over to the window and glanced down through the falling snow at the academy below. From here, it looked like a ruin, abandoned and forgotten. The occasional faint glimmers of light that burned in the windows of one of the buildings, some kind of dorm, he assumed, only made it look more hollow somehow. A place that had fallen into the possession of ghosts. You're getting jumpy, he scolded himself. Cut it out. He turned and walked back toward a stack of machinery half-buried in shadow. Something crunched under his boot, and he paused to look at it. Flowers. Squatting, the bounty hunter set the metal case aside, it was still cuffed to his wrist, and reached into his pocket for a glow rod. 
He switched it on, shining it down in front of him. The crunching had come from broken glass. Test tubes or vessels that Drenant guessed had held the different species before they'd all been dumped or thrown unceremoniously across the floor. He opened the metal case and looked at his own flower, the alleged Murakami orchid itself, comparing it with all those scattered over the cobblestones. The black market spice dealer who'd sold it to him had guaranteed it was the genuine article, the rarest in the galaxy, stolen from a secret republic biolab on Endor. The dealer had even provided him documented proof. Complex chemical and gas spectroscopy equations that Drenok had pretended to understand. But now, looking at these other flowers on the floor, rejects all, Drenok found at least two that looked exactly like it. His breath caught in his throat. He'd been duped, and now Drenok... The bounty hunter froze at the sound of his own name, the voice turning his breath to dry ice in his lungs. Up ahead, standing between him and the exit, a tall, dark-cloaked figure gazed back at him from the other side of a long stone table. Drenok realized that he was looking into the face of a man with long, refined features, the aquiline nose, raked brow, and prominent cheekbones stretched out until they were almost a caricature of arrogance. Thick, gray hair, a strange silvery blue color swept back away from his forehead. The figure extended one long-fingered hand, gesturing him forward. And at the same moment, Drenok saw the man's eyes flicker and pulse as if reflecting the burst of some far-off explosion. Lord Scabras, did you bring the orchid? I... where is it? A bluff, then. The bounty hunter realized that it was his only way out. He had bluffed his way out of tight spots before. This would be no different. This is it, he said with manufactured brusqueness holding up the open case to show its contents. The Murakami Orchid, as you requested. When Darth Scabrus didn't move to take it, in fact, he didn't seem to move at all, Drenok unlocked the chain from his wrist, set the case down in front of the Sith Lord, and stepped back. Still, Scabrus made no indication of coming around to examine the flower. His eyes remained locked on Drenok. Did you come alone? My associate's waiting outside, Drenok said. Just in case. Your associate? That's right. And you have brought no one else with you? Drenok scowled a little. <laughs> Who else would I have brought? Scabrus apparently didn't judge the question worthy of reply. The bounty hunter frowned, genuinely flummoxed now, his confusion only tightening the clenched fist of anxiety in his guts. Enough questions! He shot back, hoping the tone of impatience might help mask the fear. I delivered the orchid as we agreed. Now where's my money? Scabrous still didn't make any move to respond. The moment stretched, and in the pursuant silence, Drenok realized that he smelled something else gathering around him, growing more potent stronger than the reek of dead flowers, an aroma of roasting meat that had slowly begun to fill the air. Despite the tension, he felt his mouth beginning to water, 
It had been a while since he'd eaten. His stomach gave a noisy growl. You have failed me, Scabras said. What? That is not the Murakami orchid. How can you tell? You haven't even looked at it. Scabras lifted his head slowly. His entire body appeared to stiffen, to grow taller somehow. An illusion, certainly, but Dranak still felt himself taking a step back, like an unruly child being taken to task, spreading his hands out in supplication. Now, wait a second. Sit down. Dranak felt his knees buckle involuntarily, and he dropped down hard on the stone bench that he hadn't realized was there. Despite your failure, your payment awaits you. Scabras gestured behind him to an arched doorway that Dranak hadn't noticed before, and the HK droid stepped out pushing a cart with a huge silver tray on top. The droid wheeled the cart to the table and set down a plate and utensils in front of Dranak, along with a cup and a pitcher. Help yourself. Dranak shook his head. Whatever was underneath the lid of the silver tray... He wanted no part of it, and he realized now, with a merciless clarity of hindsight, how everything he'd done, taking the job, trusting the shady fence who had sold him the orchid, coming back up here alone, had all been links in some colossally ill-advised chain of disaster leading up to this penultimate moment of reckoning. Yet he could not stop his hand from stretching forward toward the platter, and reaching out... He lifted the lid. He stared at what lay underneath, sudden horror piling up inside his throat like a clogged siphon. It took less than a second to realize that the shaggy thing in front of him was the severed, stewed head of his partner, Skarl. The Nelvanian's mouth had been pried open wide enough to accommodate the ripe red Jaquira fruit that had been thrust between its jaws. Dead, boiled eyes gaped up at him with what almost looked like accusation. What's wrong? Scabrous's voice intoned, from what sounded like very far away. You fully intended to betray him, did you not? I simply saved you the trouble. And then, leaning forward, a traitor and an incompetent. One wonders how either one of you managed to survive this long. Dranok tried to stand up and discovered that he couldn't lift his weight from the chair. Suddenly, every part of him seemed to weigh a ton. Let me go! Every traitor makes a meal of his allies. Scabras held up a knife and fork in front of the bounty hunter's face. This is your last meal, Dranok, and you must eat it, every morsel. That is the offer I present to you. If you can do that... I will allow you to walk out of here alive. Dranak recoiled, struggling harder to pull himself free. But the only part of his body that he could move was his right hand, the one that Scabros was allowing him to lift in the direction of the dining utensils. Jaw clenched. He grasped the knife from the Sith Lord's hand and then thrust it forward as hard as he could. The knife didn't even get close to its intended target. Scabras flicked his own hand in the bounty hunter's direction. A simple, almost offhand gesture, an act of disinterested dismissal. 
Andranak felt his throat pinch shut, his windpipe siphoning down to a pinhole. A sharp and immediate weight seemed to have clamped down over his lungs. Tears of panic flooded his eyes, and his heart started pounding as he thrashed frantically in the seat, blackness already closing in around the edges of his vision. All at once, everything seemed to be happening from a great distance away. As Scabrus released him, allowing him to slump down from the seat to the floor, the last thing Drenok heard was the sound of some kind of creature shuffling and breathing and making a noise that sounded oddly like laughter. Sensational, I have to say. This installment of the Old Republic era was absolutely mind-blowing. It had everything a Star Wars fan could ask for. Intense action, gripping emotion, and heart-pounding moments that kept me on the edge of my seat. The Old Republic reaches new heights of excitement in part two of Red Harvest. The story was packed with surprises that had me completely hooked. It was like being in a thrilling speeder chase through the forest of Endor. But you know what's even more exhilarating? This is just the beginning. There's still so much more to explore, and the anticipation is killing me. I can't wait to dive into the rich lore and uncover what awaits us in the next part. But first, we gotta get to the quote of this episode, which perfectly captures the essence of overcoming obstacles and prevailing against all odds. It comes to us from a character who embodies resilience and determination, reminding us of the true strength found within ourselves. Are you ready for it? Strength is not measured by the battles we win, but by the battles we continue to fight even when all seems lost. These powerful words were spoken by none other than Harrison Dula, an exceptional pilot and a leader from the animated series Star Wars Rebels. When Hera utters these words, she highlights the profound truth about strength and resilience. It's easy to think that strength lies within winning every battle and emerging victoriously. However, Hera teaches us that strength is forced through the determination to keep fighting, even when the circumstances appear grim and hopeless. In life, we often face impossible challenges. We stumble, we fall, and it's natural to feel defeated when victory eludes us. But Harris quote reminds us that true strength isn't measured solely by our triumph. It's defined by our ability to rise again, to stand firm in the face of adversity. These words resonate deeply within me and serve as a constant reminder to never give up. They inspire me to embrace the struggles and setbacks as opportunities for growth. To find the inner strength that enables me to persevere. No matter how difficult the path may seem, Harris quote encourages us to keep pushing forward, to keep fighting for what we believe in, and to never lose hope. But I think that's all I have for today. I hope you've enjoyed part two of Red Harvest as much as I did. And I hope you'll join me next time for more of the story. So until then, may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening and may the force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pickfield Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and is distributed by Swaycast Network. Star Wars Red Harvest was read to you by Jeremy Owens. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I'm your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.